13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of our Lord. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. I don't think anyone would disagree with J- Jackie DeShannon's heartfelt sentiment from 1965 that what the world needs is love. The question is, though, what kind of love? And how do we define what, in fact, love is? What the world needs now is, without question, love. The scripture passage that Phil just read to us would indicate that the only people who can offer the world the kind of love that it needs to see and experience are followers of Jesus who have seen and experienced his love firsthand and can then demonstrate and show that love to a world in great need. I am convinced that a loving church is, at its absolute core, a loving people. Our facilities, our ministries, our services, our rosters, even our money cannot love people. Only people can love people. Therefore, I think it's imperative that we as a church spend some time thoughtfully and prayerfully considering what kind of love Christ is calling us to live and to demonstrate 
to a world that is in desperate need of seeing what genuine, authentic, Christ-shaped love looks like. And this wasn't planned, but how wonderful to just hear a testimony of what God does through churches who are filled with people who are reflecting a warm-hearted sense of God's love. Today we're commencing a new series, One Another, where we will cover several of the One Another commands in the New Testament. In total, there are 100 One Another commands in the New Testament. 60% of those were written by the Apostle Paul. And 47 of them are all directed towards followers of Jesus. One third of the one another statements are about the church getting along with each other. They're essentially about unity in the body. Another third are about how Christians ought to love each other. About 15% stress the importance of humility and service amongst believers toward one another. And the remaining 15% cover a range of different items, such as greeting each other with a kiss, uh, praying for each other, and speaking the truth to one another. It's very sobering to actually read all 100 commands. (laughs) On one hand, it can seem like a rather discouraging exercise as you consider perhaps how infrequent it's been that you have firsthand witnessed this type of community. However, it is also greatly encouraging as you imagine how God intends for people of his kingdom to treat one another and to interact and engage with each other in relationship. For me, it certainly paints a beautiful and a glorious picture of how we will all treat one another when we are in our perfected state. We will do these things all the time because we will no longer have the challenge of sin to live with. So it's wonderful to look to our future. But equally, I believe that it gives us a vision for what we can strive towards right here and right now. These commands are for living, they're for breathing here and now. During this series, we will cover seven one another commands, including love one another, accept one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another, carry one another's burdens, serve one another, and be devoted to one another. The book which Trevor mentioned a moment ago, Authentic Relationships, which has been encouraged to our congregation um, to sort of coexist with this sermon series, addresses about 22 or 23 one another's. So we're only looking at seven uh, in our sermons. We're obviously going to go into a lot more detail and depth. This is a wonderful book that I commend to you Whether you just read it personally, whether you engage with it as a group, it will certainly enhance our study time together as a church as we look at these passages. If you're part of a group as well, um, I encourage you to just read through the book systematically. Um, The series that we're doing on a Sunday will not follow the book. 
the book is going to be a wonderful addition and there will be times, for example, this week, if you read chapters 1 and 2, you'll find all kinds of connections with what I'm sharing with you this morning and that will be of great benefit. But there will be other weeks where the two don't necessarily line up and that's okay. Um, the more one another's we can look at and talk about, the better. And you know, as a group, you may even decide, well, these are the areas that we feel are really important for us to discuss. There are certain one another's that may be easier or harder for us than others. And I would encourage us just to have the wisdom and the maturity to make those kind of decisions together. So today we're going to start with the crowning commands. Love one another. All the other 99 one another's are essentially expressions of what it is to love one another. They give us vivid and highly practical ways to go about loving each other. I believe that this teaching is, is, is relevant and highly practical for all of us. And I'm really excited that the children are also going to be following along and, and learning these same seven one another's that, that we're engaging with as a church. And so for those of us who are parents of young children, we keep this conversation going beyond Sunday. And uh, so today we're going to talk about loving one another. And so moms and dads, you know, this is an opportunity for us this very week to talk to our children about that and to put that into practice in our own home. So John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the context of this passage? Well, this is taken from what is known as the Upper Room Discourse, and that covers John chapter 13 to 17. It's a really wonderful part of the Scripture. Uh, many people refer to it as just being the heart of Jesus' ministry and kind of what Jesus wanted to say to his followers. Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his followers, and he speaks some incredible words to them. He has just washed their feet and he gives them this new command. By the time he gives this command, Judas has left his betrayer. So Jesus knows that very soon he will be arrested by the authorities. He only has a limited amount of time. And so whatever he says to his disciples is of utmost importance. Now the interesting thing about this particular command is that it is actually sandwiched in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and Peter about where Jesus is going to go. Jesus talks about the fact that he is very soon about to go away to a place where his followers will not be able to go. And then in the midst of that, Jesus gives this new command. Well, immediately after Jesus gives this command, Peter's question is, where are you going, Lord, and how do we get there? I mean, there's absolutely no sense of engagement with this command. So, if you keep reading through the Upper Room Discourse and you come to chapter 15, verse 12, you'll notice that Jesus reinforces or repeats, yet again, the same command, just in case people like Peter didn't quite get it. And so we read, uh, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, 
uh, that you would lay down your life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. This is my command, love each other. So Jesus has given his disciples a new command. And I don't know about you, one of the first things that springs into my mind is, if this is a new command, what was the old command? (laughs) So the old command is found in Leviticus 19, verse 18, and it reads, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The command to love is not new, but there are some different dynamics. Firstly, the command to love your neighbor is ultimately a command to show love and mercy to everybody, to the person right next to you. That's what the biblical description of a neighbor is. It is essentially the person next to you at any given time or situation. And so what this says is that the Christian ethic of love is that Christians are not able to pick and choose who they can love. We can't discriminate. We are to be people who love people, period. Whilst this continues to hold true, in the instance of John 13, Jesus is very specifically talking about love between Christian brothers and sisters. He is talking about love within the fellowship, not just loving the neighbor. So Jesus, in effect, raises the bar for believers. Not only are we to love as we would like to be loved, which is the old command, but we are to love one another to the extent by which Jesus loved us. So notice how the old command is very much tied in with a I love you how I want to be loved dynamic. Love others as you wish to be loved. There's that golden rule element coming through. But the command that Jesus gives is quite different. It is grounded concretely in how Jesus himself loved. What does it mean to love as Jesus loved? Well, when we look at the context of this passage, I think there are two profound images that are very much in view. And the first image is that of foot washing. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. And that, as we know, is a very humbling exercise. He took on the posture of a servant. It was unorthodox. Foot washing was a task for a slave, not a task for a master or a rabbi. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having your feet washed, I mean, obviously, we live in a very different day and age where we wear shoes and socks most of the time, and so our feet don't get as dirty and and gritty as they would have back in this time. But if you've had your feet washed, it's quite a tender experience. There's a sense of vulnerability about it, especially for the person washing your feet. As they humble themselves, they lower themselves, even the posture of the person who washes another feet is a sense of, I lower myself before you. I am for you in that moment. This is something of what it looks like to love one another as Jesus loved us. Of course, 
Jesus knows that he is about to go to the cross. He has just spoken to his disciples about the fact that he is about to go somewhere where they cannot come. And so the cross is very much in view in the upper room discourse. And so that image is profoundly right here in this moment as well. As Jesus speaks to his disciples about laying down your life for their friends. Of course, Jesus knows exactly what that means. The disciples don't yet know what that looks like. But Jesus does. And so a cruciform life is a life where we choose the restoration of another over our own rights. The restoration of another over our own rights. For those of you who were here last week, you would have heard a very gutsy and challenging sermon. And one of the things that Matt talked about in regards to forgiveness was that Christian forgiveness um, does not enable us to have the right to victimhood. We must give up that right and seek the restoration of another. That's what God has done for us and that is what is being asked of us if we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. No one is saying that that is easy. No one is saying that that is easy. But that is what the scriptures call us to, a radical love. What is the outcome of loving one another as Jesus loved us. If we could learn to love each other with the kind of love that Jesus himself advocated for and so willingly demonstrated, just imagine, just imagine with me for a moment how wonderful it would be to be part of a fellowship where people spoke the truth to your face. Where people had your best interest in mind. Where people were patient with you where people encouraged you and offered to pray for you, where people genuinely forgave one another when they wronged each other. Imagine a place where people really wanted to see you grow and become the very best version of yourself possible. Where people went out of their way to help each other when a need arose. People who were constantly proactive, looking to meet another's needs. Imagine being in a community where you had absolute confidence and peace that you were not being looked at and judged or criticised or condemned. But you knew that with every glance, there was love, there was acceptance, there was grace. Imagine a community where people lent one another things generously and cultivated a spirit of rich generosity. Imagine a place where people frequently welcomed each other into their homes 
And there was just this rich, beautiful, ongoing, regular sense of hospitality in our lives. Authentic Christianity is supposed to be all of these things and so much more. It ought to be a safe place where we can be ourselves completely. The good, the bad, the ugly are all accepted. Ideally, we would not judge one another because we would recognize that God is the only just judge. And as his word has said, we are to leave judgment to him. And ideally, we would trust that the Holy Spirit will do his work, as he said he would, a work of inner conviction and transformation. If we could truly let God the Father do his role, Jesus the Son do his role, and God the Holy Spirit do his role, we could get on with doing our role. And that, my friends, is to love one another as Jesus loved us. Now, as wonderful as it would be to belong to such a community, as a pastor, my heart yearns to see Erina Community Baptist Church become this truly loving church. And, and when we talk about being a loving church, it's a gutsy, costly love. It's not just a warm, fuzzy, what the world needs now is love, sweet love kind of love. It's a robust love that takes us well out of our comfort zone. But you know what? As wonderful as it would be to be part of that kind of faith community, that is not the motive for loving one another as Jesus loved us. That is not the reason why we are commanded to love each other with such extravagant love. We are to love each other as Jesus loved us so that people that don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus through us. It's as simple as that. There's this wonderful mutual benefit. If we love each other as Jesus loved us, how wonderful to be part of that kind of community. And just imagine what God would do, what God would trust, who God would trust with a community like that. I think it's remarkable when you think about what the defining feature of a Christian community ought to be. It's not about how great, how relevant, how exciting our programs and ministries are. It's not about how appealing and attractive our facilities are. It's not about how up-to-date and dynamic our website is. It's not about how musically excellent and passionate we are in our worship of God. It's not how vocal and proactive we are towards matters of social justice, though these are all good things. And by all means, we ought to strive to do our best to present ourselves to our community as best we can. But ultimately, the identifying mark of a community of Jesus followers is to be the mutual love between its members. If that's the case, how are we traveling? How are you traveling? How would we rate 
is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ the defining mark of your faith, of my faith? That's a pretty sobering question to ask. And that extends beyond our little home patch here in Erina. And that's not always easy. When it comes to this particular command to love, I feel there are two important things that we need to understand. In chapter 2 of Authentic Relationships, Loving Others Like God Loves You, the authors highlight the fact that we cannot do for others what hasn't already been done for us. Jesus instructed his followers to love one another as he loved them. Do you get it? They were first loved by Jesus. And this is an important point not to miss. The kind of love that we are being called to does not originate from the human heart, apart from God. It must flow directly from God himself. It is only when we are secure in God's love for us, for ourselves, that we can truly begin to love each other with the type of love that Jesus is talking about. We certainly can't order or force someone to love us and we can't order or force or make ourselves love another by sheer force of will. Psychologist John Sanford writes about this. He says, The difficulty from a psychological point of view with this command is that love cannot be willed. The person who tries to love by an act of will is likely to wind up with a persona that looks like he or she is loving, but with a shadow side hidden in the unconscious that negates it. Love must come from the heart if it is to be genuine. It cannot be feigned, not even with the best of intentions. So unless a person has a profound experience of being loved, it is virtually impossible for them to love another with the kind of love that Jesus is speaking of here. We must live loved in order to love. This passage, to be clear, is not about trying to love people more. We need to experience the love our Heavenly Father has for us through Jesus and allow that love to flow freely out of us. No one can command another person to love. And this is illustrated so well in the much-loved Disney children's film, Aladdin. Aladdin, the so-called street rat, falls in love with Princess Jasmine. And he desperately wants to win her heart. But there is a huge social divide between the two of them. And she can only marry a prince. And so as the story goes on, when Aladdin gets the genie bottle rubs it and out comes the genie and he is granted three wishes well Aladdin thinks that all his wishes and dreams have come true at once he will be able to command the genie to make uh, Jasmine fall in love with him well that was the clause he could ask for anything but the genie could not 
cause people to fall in love with each other. So Aladdin settles for the next best thing and wishes to become a prince. And uh, he goes on and tries all of these things to win Jasmine's heart, but he can't force her to love him. No amount of pretending, no amount of trying will work. Genuine love for another must and can only come from the heart. No amount of trying in this community to genuinely love each other is going to cut it. It can only come through a transformational experience of God's love and allowing the Holy Spirit to free God's love through us to one another. The second thing to note is that the kind of love we are speaking about, as I mentioned earlier, is a costly, inconvenient love. The kind of love Jesus is speaking about is a love that puts me uh, out for the benefit of another. It is costly, it is inconvenient. Washing feet was a menial task performed by slaves. Do you think it was a convenient thing for Jesus to wash the feet of Judas, his betrayer? Dying on the cross for the sins of the world was unimaginably costly. Inconvenient love takes us outside of our comfort zone. It stretches us, it humbles us, it unsettles us. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us our pride. Sometimes it's our pride that gets in the way of loving as Christ calls us to. You know, our tendency as people is to love those who love us, isn't it? Our tendency, our nature, is to go out of our way for those who go out of their way for us. Well, Jesus calls us to a much more radical, a much more robust love. A love that is marked by his demonstration of foot washing and dying on the cross. This is a, going to be a highly practical series that we're going to engage with. And so my anticipation is that every week there ought to be something tangible for each one of us to take away. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts as to what that is. But how will you go about this week seeking God to love your brothers and sisters like Christ loves you? Can I invite us, firstly, to ask God? My tendency as a to-do person is to decide who I want to do something special for and do it. Um, if you're like me, I'm encouraging you to actually just the first thing that I want to invite us to do is to pray and to seek God, who would you have me show your love to this week who's part of this fellowship? Uh, who is that person, Lord? Who, who is the person that you're putting in front of me right now? Who is the person that you're bringing to my mind, to my heart? And then how can I show them love? How can I show them the sort of love that we're talking about? An inconvenient love. So would it be convenient to just say, 
I thought and prayed for you this week when you see that person on a Sunday morning at church. Well, that's nice. I don't think that's the kind of love we're talking about. So there are all kinds of ways that we can be inconvenienced to show one another the love of Christ. Let's open our hearts to each other. Let's open our homes to each other. Let's open our ears and listen to one another. Let's ask each other the kind of questions that Trevor was asked this morning and let's take an active interest in each other's lives and show one another that we genuinely care, that we genuinely are interested. And inconvenience yourself. Don't wait until Sunday. Do something during the week to show one another the love of Christ. And may we be a community that God raises up and uses to transform all those people that you and I come into contact with on a regular basis. May the world know that we here at Erina Community Baptist Church are followers of Jesus because of our love for one another. May the name of Jesus be lifted high and glorified and may his kingdom come among us and may we see our membership quadruple as we become the loving church God has called us to be. Let's pray together. God of love, you have revealed yourself to us through your son Jesus. We thank you for sending your son. And we thank you that you have given us a tangible, understandable, relatable picture of what you're like. And we thank you for the gospels and we thank you for the life of Christ that is laid out before us. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower each one of us to become more surrendered to your Spirit and to become more service-orientated like your Son. Lord, I, I just commit this entire series to you as we read the books together, as we open your Word together and study what you're saying to us at this time in our church's life. Lord God, could we become a truly Christ-like loving church that this community here in Erina on the central coast of New South Wales, Australia would see that we are Jesus, your disciples and that many people will come to faith in you through our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.